One of my heroes is the former British Special Forces agent and survival expert Bear Grylls. And uh, Bear Grylls was made famous by his show Man vs. Wild, uh, where he would go into these uh, precarious situations uh, in the snow or uh, just the wilderness in general. Here he is in uh, the Sahara Desert looking very cool. And uh, he would kind of show principles of how, if you were to find yourself, say, stranded in the Sahara Desert, which I know happens to us all the time, but when you find yourself in that situation, what are a couple of the things that you need to know in order to increase the odds that you will live to tell that tale? And uh, I had the the incredible opportunity uh, a few years ago to uh, go on this two-day survival course uh, with Bear Grylls and, uh, hashtag humble brag, and what I, the most important thing that I learned from this wilderness survival expert is that I would not survive in the wilderness. <laughs> The second most important thing I learned about surviving in the wilderness is that it's this incredibly, almost irrationally counterintuitive principle that dramatically increases the possibility that you are to survive in the wilderness, and it's simply that you stay put that you stay where you are and you try and, you know, get the right resources around you that will give you a little bit of runway to allow you to wait for help to come. And this wilderness survival guide is also a principle for the survival of your soul of what it takes and what it looks like for God to come to your rescue is this counterintuitive reality that in the wilderness of your life, the thing that you most need to do and the thing that your survival mechanisms will scream against is staying in that place with the hope and the confident expectation that rescue is on its way. And this, my friends, is what the theme uh, and the season of Advent is all about. And this is what we are exploring with the prophet Isaiah this Advent season leading up to Christmas Eve, this holy night when Christ is born. How do we learn to wait with hopeful expectation and joyful anticipation and a peaceful, calm awareness that help is indeed on its way for you and for me? And so this passage from Isaiah chapter 35 that uh, 
that we've just read. Uh, it places us in the place where we most want to avoid. It's this incredible, prophetic, poetic, artistic vision of the transformation of the created order that God is on his way to rescue us, and it's this transformation, but it begins in the desert. Verse 1, Isaiah says, the desert and the parched land will be glad, and the wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Now, you see, Isaiah isn't just simply poetically trying to describe a situation of idealistic reversal. But what Isaiah is pointing out to the people of God is he is describing their situation, their predicament, the state of their soul. Isaiah has been, for 34 chapters, Isaiah has been saying to the people of God who have found their way time and time again into idolatry and injustice. These are Bible words for saying, I want to do my own thing in my own way to meet my own deepest needs with my own resources. And my attempt to do that will have a disproportionate impact on the marginalized and on the poor, which God cares deeply and desperately about and where God has promised to be found. And Isaiah has said, stop doing this. You have actually entered into a relationship with God where you have said that the terms and conditions of the arrangement of your relationship is that you have said you will love God and love your neighbor as yourself and you're failing to do that. And the consequences of this type of behavior, of these repeated decisions made over and over and over again that are harming you and your neighbor is that you are going to end up in exile. And the deep irony here is that the people of God, who God in the book of Exodus, we read the story of God liberating his people who had become slaves under the boot of the empire, led them through the desert wilderness and into the promised land where he has set them up and established them to be a kingdom of light and a, 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 a the salt of the earth to demonstrate what it looks like to the world to live like God is king, to let the trust in God be our sort of political policy, that this God has taken this people through the wilderness, but God has said, you keep choosing and choosing to do the things that I have asked you not to do, and so I'm going to surrender you to the consequences of your decisions, and those consequences lead them away from the promised land and back into the desert. As the Assyrian and then the Babylonian empires come and cart them away into exile. And so they find themselves literally again in the wilderness, in the desert. And the desert in the biblical imagination is anti-life. It's the place of, of dislocation and displacement from God's presence and life that God intends, and, and the biblical picture of what that life is like is a garden, a, a, a garden that is developed into a city where God sits at the center of this city, and, and from God's life, life flourishes, but when we don't trust that life, it ends us up east of Eden in the desert, 
And this isn't just a, a catchy turn of phrase that the biblical writers use, this poetic word, east of Eden, nor is it the greatest American novel ever written. But this phrase, east of Eden, to the biblical the first readers, the first hearers of this text, they would have know, known that what is east of Eden is the desert and is Babylon. And so Isaiah's prophetic warning is, hey, you all are going to end up deserted and displaced, away from the life that God has created you to live. And the thing that I know to be true from my own experience is that you and I are, are also in the desert. You and I, in one way or another, have found our way into the desert where survival depends on our ability to make our own way forward with our own resources. In one way or another, you and I are spiritually dehydrated. You and I are, are chasing after one type of mirage of life or flourishing or another. That we've all accepted promises of the good life. We have strategies for survival and security that when we follow those things, which are good things, just out of order, when we follow those things, we end up in the desert and our lives get dried out and we find ourselves thirsting for something more, thirsting for something that can sustain us. We end up longing for something to come and lead us out of the wilderness. The desert, as uh, the, the uh, fourth century spiritual writer Gregory of Nyssa, in his commentary on this passage in Isaiah 35, it says it's clear that I, uh, Isaiah is addressing you and me. It's, it's clear that it is not to places without soul or sense that Isaiah proclaims the good tidings of joy, but Isaiah speaks by the figure of the desert of the soul that is parched and unadorned. And what, he, what he means by this is to you and I where the state of our soul is dehydrated and we are ill-equipped to face the forces of the desert. We don't have our hydro flask and our Osprey backpack. We're not prepared for what, for the task that is at hand. We find ourselves in the desert. Or we will find ourselves in the desert. What's interesting is, is that Isaiah writes, the, the, it, chronologically speaking, when Isaiah writes this, Israel is not yet in exile in Babylon. They're not yet in the desert. That wouldn't come for another generation. And so if you're not in the desert right now, I can promise you in love that you will find yourself there. 
Spiritually speaking, some people call this the dark night of the soul. When the things that you used to lean on in order to feel near to God or to feel like life had energy and joy, those things will dry out eventually. And you will find yourself needing some sort of sustenance. You will find yourself broken down. And that's where Isaiah continues in verse 3. There's this word of promise and joy and hope, but it's two feeble hands and knocking knees and fearful hearts. Verse 3, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts. In one way or another, we are in one of those three categories this morning. Some of us have lost all sort of conviction or meaning. Some of us feel like the things that we rely on to support us are giving way. Some of us feel like our, our very bodies are breaking down and betraying us. We're unable to do the things we used to do in the ways we used to do them. We're unsure and uncertain about our economic security. The things that we used to do now with, with, with confidence now bring us a, a sense of fear and, and trepidation. And I know that all of us, if, you, if we were to sit here and think about a situation or a relationship or some uh, season of your life that you're in, if you were to sit and think about that right now, you would physiologically begin to experience what Isaiah is talking about, about this being in the desert. We would physically start to have anxiety take hold of our bodies. And I know that for all of us, we have a situation or a relationship in our life where this brings up this type of response. What is that for you today? Who is that for you today? Where is that for you today? When is that going to happen for you today? And it's to this predicament this reality, this spiritual condition that Isaiah speaks this prophetic, powerful, and poetic word of hope that says to you with feeble hands, shaking hands, be strengthened. To you with knocking knees, be steady. And to you with fearful hearts, hear these Words from the next part of this verse continues on, and I love this, uh, this paraphrase from Eugene Peterson's uh, message translation, where he says, courage, take heart, friends. Be encouraged. Hear the good news. Hear this word of promise and hope that is for you in this desert situation that you find yourself in, this spiritual dehydration. Be encouraged. Why? Because God is here, and God is right here, and God is on God's way to put things right and redress all wrongs. God is on his way, and he will save you. This 
my friends, is the promise of Advent. This is what comes to pass in the arrival and the presence of Jesus. And right here, we also feel, what I love about this paraphrase here is that it it captures the real tension that we feel and the real tension of Advent, which is on the one hand that God is here, God is right here with us right now, and God is on his way. God is on his way. In that place, that deserted and dehydrated place or that situation that you find yourself in that doesn't, that hasn't reached its happy ending, God is on his way. And God will save you in this circumstance and situation if you stay put in that place, in the pain, in the desert, in the brokenness, in the sin, in the shame. If you stay in that place long enough, you will come to find that you are not distant from God, but that God is present with you. And that God is working in and through Jesus and in and through the church to bring you out of that place. God will save you. This is the hope and the promise of Advent. And when we start thinking about what it looks like and what it means for God to save us, for God to rescue you and me, what does that mean? We have to clear away some of the baggage that surrounds this phrase of salvation. And so the first thing we need to understand is that salvation itself, salvation isn't spiritual evacuation from the world, but salvation is God coming into our broken situation in the world. This transformation in Isaiah's vision happens in the desert. God absolutely transforms the context that the the Israelites find themselves in. And the same is true for you and me. God's transformation, God's salvation comes to the deserted place to transform that place, not take you to another place. Wherever you find yourself, that's where God is going to bring about change, not to take you somewhere else. God is more concerned about getting heaven into people than God is about getting people into heaven heaven. And as soon as we say that, we also need to look at the flip side of this coin too, because God is concerned about his people, you and me, living into and fulfilling the answer to the prayer that Lord, that, that Jesus taught us to pray when we say, your kingdom come and your will be done through us on earth as it is in heaven. That God wants to be present and transform the context of our desert into a flourishing paradise. But the way that this happens is also counterintuitive. Because salvation isn't a human remaking of the world into heaven, but a divine recreating of the world from heaven. This transformation that you and I are invited into as active participants that includes us by grace through faith isn't achieved by you and me. We cannot do it. We cannot change the desert into a garden paradise, but God can, and God will, and God is, and God does. The beginning of our story, Genesis 1, it begins with this picture of God, the Spirit of God like a dove hovering over the waters. But another way of, of thinking about this is, 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 the, is the Hebrew words get us closer to a place of 
the world being a, a desert place. And God's very presence over that desert place begins to bring life and new creation. And in the arrival of Jesus, that is what God is promising to do in your life and in the world. But it doesn't come through your own effort or your, your proper ideas. It comes by grace through faith. It comes from outside of us. Amen. And that is what salvation is. And that's what our hope is. And our hope and what I want us to see this morning, what I want us to live more deeply into as the people of North Fresno Church is this simple reality that displaced people and deserted places are transformed with divine presence. Displaced people, deserted places, are transformed with divine presence. Wherever you are feeling out of touch with God or with your friends or wherever you are feeling displaced or dysfunctional or dislocated or dehydrated or deserted, God's presence will transform you in that place. And deserted places, whether the desert itself, the earth itself, or Fresno itself, will be transformed with divine presence. And the invitation is for people like you and me to live in the divine presence so that transformation can come from God into the world so that we can bear witness and point out all of the ways where we see this sort of transformation occurring. And when it comes to what it looks like to, to receive this presence, to look out for it, to hold on to it, to hope in it. And especially, this is especially true if you're not a follower of Jesus. I, I, I come constantly back to these words from the, the novelist and, and theologian Frederick Buechner, who writes this, for what we need to know, you and I, of course, is not just that God exists. The, present, the, the promise of Advent isn't merely God exists. See, proof, baby born. That's not just the mere promise of Advent. It's not just that God exists. Not just that beyond the steely brightness of the stars, there is a cosmic intelligence of some kind that keeps the whole show going. But that there is a God right here in the thick of our day-by-day -day lives. It is not objective proof of God's existence that we want, but the experience of God's presence. That is the miracle that we are really after, and that is also, I think, the miracle that we really get. And so the challenge of receiving the gift of God's presence, the gift of rescue, of salvation in the desert, is to take Bear Grylls' advice and stay where you are. To stay put. To trust and hope that God is on his way to rescue you from whatever predicament or precarious situation you find yourself in today. And that by naming that, by naming the messy 
and painful and heartbreaking and heart-wrenching realities of whatever it is that you are feeling or thinking or experiencing, even when that means feeling and naming and experiencing what it feels like for God to be absent. God, you said you would be with me in moments like this, but I can't feel you. I don't know where you are. Where are you? What is happening? What is going on? That is also God saving you. And for the church, for North Fresno Church, for you and me, what this means is that this transformation that God is inviting us into as a church, this transformation that God is inviting you into as an individual, begins with prioritizing your life around the presence of God. This is not just a one hour, one day a week reality, but it is living near to the God who is near to you. It is by taking time in your day and in your week to become aware of the fact that God is with you and that God, that's why we're doing what we're doing right here, right now, and in every effort that we do around this stage and together in this community is geared toward pointing you and me to the presence of God with us. And when we're able to stay focused on who God is and where God is and what God is doing, then incredible transformations can happen. As the pastor Tyler Staten puts it in a, in a phrase that I cannot shake. This is just my, my prayer for us. As he writes, prioritize presence in the church and you get the kingdom in the city. By prioritizing the presence of God in the church, the deserted places and the displaced people in the city will become transformed with God's presence. And this is why we do things like Christmas connections. And it's an overwhelming joy to be standing in the lobby today and to, and to be walking through our office this morning and just see hundreds of presents that are being given to people in our neighborhood, people who we have cultivated relationships with through faith, that these people are getting something that they have asked for in situations where they find themselves that they never asked to be in. And in these places, when we participate in, and in the transformation that God is bringing about, we realize something absolutely profound. That you and I, and as, as we get connected in these sort of Christmas connections, we realize that it's not you and me who are bringing the presence of God to places where it's absent. It's we're finding that you and I are absent from the presence of God who is near to the marginalized and to the poor and to the brokenhearted and to the displaced and to the forgotten. And when we remember the forgotten people and the forgotten places, we discover ourselves. We find that God is near to all of us. And so, my friend, what does it look like for you and for me to find times and spaces in our life where 
you can simply be still and unplug, get away from your phone, get away from distractions, and become aware of the fact that God is near to you. And when you begin to develop this habit of paying attention to the God who is near you, it's so much easier to become aware of the ways and means by which God is present in others as well. And that is the promise of Advent, that displaced people and deserted places like you and me will be transformed by the presence of God. So, beloved, come, let us adore him. Amen.